Thursday, October 6th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm AJ Hoffman. Thursday Night Football kicks off week five in the NFL. And a major injury question mark has popped up for college football Saturday. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. We are straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. Week five of the NFL season kicks off tonight with the Indianapolis Colts taking on the Denver Broncos. We had college football last night and a major injury potentially impacting a game on Saturday. And the Major League Baseball season wraps up. What is the Vegas lead? Well, let's start with Thursday night football. We have the Broncos hosting the Colts. Two teams without their starting running backs, AJ. Yeah, obviously we know Denver's without Javante Williams for the rest of the season. Uh, pretty bad knee injury, it looks like. Several several of the CLs uh, torn for Javante Williams. Jonathan Taylor, though, yesterday announced out for this game. Uh, and this is a guy who's very key for the Colts offense. It's one of the few teams that really has a key guy at running back. Jonathan Taylor, that seems like an irreplaceable part. The total is at 42 for this game. Right now, Denver is a three-point favorite. Here to help us break down Thursday Night Football is the only two-time winner of the Westgate Super Contest. He is Steve Fezzik. Fez, when you look at this game, both teams coming short week, dealing with the Thursday. The Colts dealing with the travel. Have to go to mile high, which is a difficult place to play on the road. How much does that built into your rating of this game? Well, I never want to play a Thursday road game in general. That's mm-hmm. my basic strategy. But I have to tell you, I think it's in terms of extra home field, maybe it's an extra point. That's kind of generous to tack one full additional point onto a two. But I'll, I'll go ahead and give Denver three for home field, all right? Who's the better team? I don't know. They're pretty comparable, all right? So if I give Denver three for home field in a great situation, I get to Denver minus three. I don't get any higher. I think what's happening here is that the name brand Jonathan Taylor is out. Yes. And everyone's like, oh, he was my number one pick of my fantasy team, and you know, he, and he's so important. But the Denver running back situation is dire. You know, the fact that they lost their starting running back and their number two running back, Melvin Gordon. He keeps fumbling the football. Can't be trusted. And yeah. anyone who watched the end, the much despised, is it Mike Boone? Mike Boone. Mike Boone cannot catch the football. Mike Boone dropped not one, but two passes. One of them was difficult. One I would have caught. And I'm not kidding. I would have caught it. <laughs> I would have fair caught it. It was the easiest catch ever in a fourth down conversion for Denver. Um, if Mike Boone is going to see lots of playing time, that is a significant downgrade on comparable to Jonathan Taylor to Hines or whoever Indy's going to have out there. So I know it sounds trivial. If I make the game three and I can get a three and a half, I'm going to play three and a half. Also, I don't know where the offense is coming from. I got two above average defenses. I've got two below average offenses. I've got a total that's sitting at 43 and a half. I'm playing under. Yeah. Well, here's my question. I, and I thought about playing the under as well. But now knowing that with the the run the running options more limited – could you see a more pass-heavy game script, and does that lead to a thought on the over? Sure, if they're throwing the ball downfield, but I don't think they will be. I think these are going to be ball control offenses. I don't see you know big plays. Uh, obviously, I'd much rather see running, but I don't think that teams completely change their stripes. Maybe Denver will. 
I still think Indianapolis is going to run the ball a lot. I mean, do you trust Matt Ryan to be throwing the ball 75% of the time? No, I don't. But, I, I mean, I, I could see it happening anyway. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think that it, when you – listen, the Colts, the Colts offense, there, there may not be a team more dependent on – I guess the Titans – more dependent on a running back than the Colts are on Jonathan Taylor – you take him out, I don't know that the Colts can be a running team without Jonathan Taylor. Doesn't it feel like both of these teams saying, as long as we don't screw this up on offense, we're going to win? As long as we don't turn it over? Yeah. What you do you know? feel about maybe like a first half under? Yeah, that's, I think that's strong. So the under 21 first half, you know, in the markets, this is interesting because the total got hit downward from 44 to 42 and a half to 43. But that first half... I think yeah, I think directionally we had the completely the right thoughts, but people already got at it because we saw the twenty one abs get taken out, and now people are taking out the under twenty ones. So some of the value gone, but you know, I like that first half under twenty one if you can still get twenty one, yes. Just think the script for both of these teams is gonna come out, run the football, settle for field goals. You know, did you is there a bet you can make? I thought I saw this on one of the online books where it's both teams to convert a field goal. There are bets, whether it be a touchdown first or a field goal. The touchdown be like minus 140, field goal plus 120. There's a bet, will both teams have a 33-yard field goal, which is kind of just random happenstance chance, you know, whether that occurs or not. But um, you could bet the kickers over. Well, you bet the team totals for each team will be one and a half on field goals. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a bad bet there. But if you if you feel the game script is such that both teams – are going to be kicking field goals, and the game's in Denver. <laughs> we know Denver likes attempting field goals. You know, each one of the guys, McManus over one half, and I, it escapes me, the Indy Col- kicker is? Uh, they oh, cha- they, they cut, changed it. They, yeah, they, they cut they, Rodrigo Blankenship. Yeah, I don't the even the know dude with the there. funky glasses is out. So, you, so I, I'm not excited about playing Indy over because the new kicker's no good either. So um, he missed a, a, a fairly short one. So maybe Denver over one and a half field goals. That uh, Chase pop- McLaughlin. That's who it was last. Is, McLaughlin yeah. report. Yeah, is three of four. Uh, he he has made he don't his only miss is from outside of fifty. So maybe a little crazy. He's one for two on fifty yarders. Uh, one for one, forty to forty nine, and one for one, twenty to twenty nine. So longest field goal prop is forty six and a half for this game tonight. In You're Denver, paying that Denver. In tax. Denver, I want I want. No, nah, 46 and a half's market. Okay. That's, that, that's like, that's, that's pretty much 46 and a half, 47 is pretty normal. So I kind of, you know, with McManus, I like over 46 and a half. Shortest field goal made over under 25 and a half. Complete randomness. Yeah. Yeah. Like Never, I, I haven't bet that in my entire career. Total field goals over three and a half. Yeah. You know, it's, with, with offenses, it could be sputtering. And without their, you know, their best players to touch the ball in the red zone, I could see them settling for a lot of field goals. The problem with three and a half is that if the total is 55, the field goal, you have more scoring chances, three and a half field goals. If the total is like 38, three and a half field goals because they don't get in the red zone as often, but then they wind up kicking field goals more often and they kind of everything offsets. The, th- the, f- the three and a half field goal prop is a really difficult one to beat because three and a half and, and big to the under – and you're pretty good as a book. It's, it's never off by very much. I kind of like that over 46 and a half for the longest field goal made. Because mm-hmm. why not with McManus and you're in Denver and it's Nathaniel Hackett who has shown after a couple of bad decisions to maybe. Thinks a 64 yarder yeah. is, is, <laughs> is like 50 50. Why not? Yes. Well, maybe he decides to not go That's for field a fourth down and take a you know 50 yard field goal instead of going for it on fourth down. Mm-hmm. So that could be a factor there. Um, I've got a player prop that I'm going to play. I want to hit you with, Fez. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex. Alec Pierce, the rookie receiver for the Colts, who has taken on basically the number two role behind Michael Pittman, 
Uh, he's not going to draw Patrick Sertain, which is good. And without the running game being what it normally is for the Colts, I expect a more pass-heavy game script. His yardage prop is only 33-and-a-half. What do you think of that for a number two receiver uh, to, to go over 33-and-a-half yards? How many games has Pittman played, do we know? Has he played two for I Andy? think he has played three. Has he played three? Yeah. I, I just um, – yeah, I, I think that's strong to look selectively at the receiver's when you've got a run-heavy team that suddenly, obviously, with um, you know missing their stud, isn't going to run as often, and they're they're a three-point dog, three and a half-point dog for a reason. Uh, I like that. That's good. And, and the last two games, sixty-one yards and eighty yards, five targets and six targets in those two games. So uh, it, it seems like they're looking to incorporate him more into the offense. I anyway. will fully endorse that. I like right. Na- I like Naeem Hines over receiving yards because you know he's, he's what's that up- set at. Uh, twenty-seven and a half. I like that too. Uh, I mean, I, I and he's clearly the pass catching running back. Well, he's the number one situ- running back. He's the situational be, one, so he's yeah. going to get a higher it's, snap it, count. Yeah. yeah, he's going to get a. He, obviously, he's he's the number one running back now. Yes. So it's not like he's just coming in on third downs to pass I'm, catches. He's he's in on every down. I'm surprised. Did they ever him his rush yards up? Yeah, Naeem Hines' rushing yards is thirty-six and a half. How is that that low? Is it wow. going to be? I mean, are are are, are there are two other backs that are going to get usage? Yeah, that seems maybe they're just going to be like the Bucks last week and not run at all. Yeah, so the Bucks had six rushing attempts, three at, at at the end of the first half. So it wasn't all game script that they were behind. I don't ever recall seeing an NFL team rush the ball for only six times. Three runs for negative three yards at halftime. Consistency. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks like none of us have a firm play on the side of this game, but pregame.com's the hitman does have one. Let's hear it. Best bet, Colts plus three and a half, minus 120. Going back to 2015, rookie head coaches are 8 and 18 against the spread on Thursday night football. I have the teams rated similar, and any short week travel stuff favoring Denver, I think is going to be mitigated by Hackett being one of the top candidates of coaches that you could theoretically see struggling on a short week against an above average head coach in Frank Reich. There's talk about Jonathan Taylor being a big loss for the Colts, and he is. But Denver is underratedly dealing with injuries to their defensive end, Randy Gregory, Justin Simmons, their inside linebacker, Jewel, and their star running back, Javante Williams. Plus, the Colts are primarily a zone coverage defense, and this season, Russell Wilson is 33rd in EPA per dropback against zone. And also, an added element of potential Russell Wilson struggles is the fact that he might not be 100% with a bruised shoulder. Best bet, Colts plus the three and a half. So he sees the injury woes uh, for Denver costing him in this game. And it makes sense. Listen, you know, when Matt Ryan, you need him to have as much time as possible with no Jonathan Taylor to fall back on. Not having Randy Gregory out there is a pretty big deal. The, The Broncos injuries on the defensive side of the ball because everybody's talking about Javante Williams defensive injuries are starting to mount up for the Broncos. I would agree. I just think this is an ugly game tonight. And you know what? Anytime it's an ugly game, I would lean towards taking the points. Fezzik, I'm glad you're here because I got to ask you what to do with this Kentucky situation. For those of you that have not heard, it is rumored that Kentucky quarterback Will Levis might not play this weekend against South Carolina. The line was Kentucky minus 10. And when the rumor started to circulate around Twitter, the line dropped down to five and a half now. The report that I saw was that he is dealing with a an injury that has nothing to do with the finger that he hurt last week, which, by the way, is on his non-throwing hand. But it is an injury that could keep him out this week. 
what do we do with this information and what do we do with this play now? Because Kentucky was one of the plays AJ and I talked about on the college football podcast. I gave out Kentucky minus 10. I think Kentucky rolls over South Carolina. Without Will Levis, now I have concerns. Do I believe the rumor? You know, college is not like the NFL where they have to give out the injury reports. They can be very discreet, and then all of a sudden, we find out on Saturday, hey, Will Levis is in uniform, and he's playing. How do I handle this? I don't believe the news reports nearly as much as the market. The market is telling you Levis isn't playing. The fact that it's at five and a half and it moved four and a half points. Do you have a a power rating? Probably not on the backup quarterback, but at least an estimate on what the the downgrade would be. Mm, I don't. For me, a lot of the handicap was on the running game of Kentucky, which leaves me to say I want to buy in on Kentucky at this adjusted price. So Levis is worth five points at most? Not even that. You wouldn't even He's an elite quarterback. He's an elite college quarterback in the top tier of college quarterbacks, right? All right. Wow. So, you, so you still you say, want, wow, I disagree with that. You disagree that Will Levis is in the top. He's tier in of the same group as, as he might Bryce be the number Young. one. Over, he might be the number one. That doesn't mean in he's in the top, top tier of college quarterbacks. You, are you going to put him in the same category as Bryce Young? It's a different offense. It's, it's maybe not as far as a playmaker or, or CJ Stroud. Like the, there's levels to this. I, I mean, Will Levis is a great pro prospect, but I don't think he's an elite college quarterback and watching him play last week basically assured me he is not an elite college. quarterback. So I had the information I need to answer the question. So let's assume I be, I've already bet this. I bet 200. Let's assume I haven't already bet it. Okay. If I have not already bet it, I'm going to sit tight. All right. I'm going to monitor closely. Mm-hmm. Ideally, it sounds like he's not going to play, so I'm not going to. I'm I'm not going to bet Kentucky. I'm going to wait for the news to drop. Levis is out, and then there's going to be some square balls out there that say, "Oh, he's an elite pro prospect, worth Will anywhere." Levis, the ninth highest rated quarterback in college football this year, worth anywhere from three to six points. But you know what? People are not. People, People are doing a zillion things at once. They're betting baseball playoffs. They're betting the NFL. They're getting ready for the NBA. They're not college football experts. So there's going to be square balls. They're going to see Kentucky quarterbacks confirmed out, and they're going to bet against. They're going to bet on South Carolina plus five and a half. It's going to drop to four, and then then you can buy buy a bet on Kentucky now. If you've already, if you haven't bet Kentucky already, you bet your two hundred in Kentucky. If you've already bet Kentucky, say for two hundred, I have a fifty percent rule. I add on for half. All right. Just a rule of thumb. Mm. I don't like to bet more than three percent of my bankroll or, or three units on anything. If I already bet two, I've got I've got one percent more. I don't want to shoot my wad. It sounds totally different. Wow, minus four and a half versus minus ten. Yeah. But you know what? It's much more correlated than you think. If one wins, the other one's probably going to win. I, I'm going to dive deeper into this game. AJ, we'll dive deeper into this because I'm telling you right now, I don't think that the contest is going to put this game on the contest card. To protect themselves. But if they do. Too late. Might already be. be well, it'll come it out. Be. It might be on there. It might, might already be heading to the printer, right? If it is on there and it's, you know what, it's probably before the injury news, if anything. That's which what means, I'm thinking. If, it's, which if, means, if, if they posted it at 10 and a half. Oh, which means we're going to have to take the other side. Exactly. I don't want to. I don't want to. Well, it's a nice way to kind of get, get to, to mitigate your risk. You know, you put Kentucky it. minus 10 and a half on the contest. Oh, you know South Carolina, means? you can meddle it. You know what that means? South Carolina. Every single half. person in this contest is picking South Carolina. Now, this is interesting. They should, but they won't. Know why? 
because I would I would say that 15 percent of the people are have already that's too high five percent of the people have already submitted their picks to their proxies or the like <laughs> because they're, they're, they're that's just the way they're programmed and and some people are going to say these are my seven best these are my eight best bets for the week I give it out on my my podcast Tuesday and that's what I'm going to give you know just people are, are rock. We'll look at Survivor last week. Green Bay was absolute slam dunk. You had to play Green Bay, and only a third of the people played Green Bay. If we find out Saturday morning that Levis is playing, we got to put. You have to put Kentucky on the contest slip. Absolutely, because now you're you're going to because so many people are going to submit on Friday. Yeah. And they're going to take the value of South Carolina. That even if you're laying ten and a half, you got to make up a little ground. Mm-hmm. And that that you just you you just shove with Kentucky rather than just pass. You could pass also. You could pass. I'd rather pass than take. I agree. I, I'd I rather pass. pass than take South Carolina just because you're getting 10.5 in the contest and the line is 5.5. Because I'm telling you right now, there's more of a chance that Kentucky ev- wins by double digits, even with a backup quarterback, than South Carolina wins. Right. I'll bet Kentucky. I'm shoving with uh, right right now. It, it, uh, my contest picks are due in two minutes. I'm putting every one of my entries, I'm putting South Carolina in every one of them. And you know what? I can just bet back the other way and lay the five. Fine. Last night, there was some college football. That's right. Wednesday night college football. And it wasn't Maction. Not Maction. In the American Conference, SMU and Central Florida. This game, uh, not great for my bankroll, I can tell you that. I had SMU plus three. I had the over. I lost both. Central Florida, 41, SMU, 19. Just a a crushing performance by Central Florida. SMU, this game was close for a while. The second half, just not even competitive. I'm shocked that this one did not go over. I mean, UCF did exactly what I thought they were going to do, which is score 30 to 40 points. Uh, I'm shocked that SMU really was not able to find the end zone. Tanner Mordecai, 28 of 45 passing, 295 yards. Zero touchdowns. Well, the the yardage in this game, basically a coin flip, 484 to 476. So the, statistically, these two teams were pretty even. There were two turnovers to zero. Well, SMU fumbled on their first yeah. possession. So, so. S- SMU lost a fumble and Mordecai threw a pick. But 22 points of difference. This was really just Central Florida bowing their back up against the uh, up against the goal line and not letting anything get through. The stats, the box score doesn't tell you how bad it was mm-hmm. for SMU, but it was a rough night for the Ponies. The bounce house was rocking here as uh, Central Florida gets the win and proves to four and one and uh, one and zero in the American Athletic Conference. Fez, while we have you. Yesterday was the final day of the Major League Baseball regular season. How did your win total bets go? Win totals were really good. You know what? I got to I got to be honest. Win totals in every sport always seem to do well, and even with the sport that is 162 games, you'd think, "Wow, it's really unlikely that any team's going to middle." But there it is. Colorado 68 wins. You know, mm-hmm. that's right around what their season win number was. San Diego Padres win 88 games. 89. Oh, they win 89. Yep. So they land right on the number. They were they were lined eighty eight to eighty nine. There was even an eighty nine and a half. I saw. So every year, and if baseball with one hundred sixty two games middles on the final day, you can imagine what happens. The Blue when, Jays didn't. The Blue Jays was it ninety two and a half? They finished ninety two and seventy. We we got and we played the Blue Jays under ninety three. Wow. And SOV. We 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 were out talking about different. Yeah. But the only team I think that I got wrong personally, betting over the course of the year, we bet a ton on the Mets over. And the Reds under. I have um, some tickets on the Twins to go over. I kept I kept waiting 
for the Twins to make their run, and they even upgraded at the All-Star break. Never happened. Early season, you were negative on the Astros, but you you bought out of that position pretty early in the season, right? You know, this is a rare case exactly where I would say I lost betting preseason. I played against the Astros. I played against the Mets. I played against the Yankees because of all the injuries. And then as the season progressed early in the season, the markets just never adjusted. Like the I got the, I I just I could buy out of the Mets and the Astros and the Yankees and get back basically the same number after all three teams were just killing it. I mean, Houston I think started slow in April, but uh, the Mets was a freight train of cash, you know, from the get-go and the Reds started the Reds literally started like 2 and 19. Mhm. And their 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 pre-flop number was seventy four, and you could still be betting them like under sixty eight, under seventy, even. You know, they finished sixty two and one hundred. Yes, you know the one team that I wanted to comment on. The, I know the Cubs were real close. I think they went under their number. They won, I think, seventy four, so they just barely went under. Mm-hmm. The Cubs had a resurgence. They and the Tigers of epic proportions, where they didn't get there on their season win numbers either team. But the Tigers won nine out of ten games at one point, and the Cubs actually became one of the best teams in baseball in, in September, just back from the dead, and they kept the team cohesion. They didn't, you know, um, dump everyone and, and trade everyone like the Reds did, and I think that really helped the team chemistry. Would you agree with that, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Cubs, they won eight of their last ten to finish the year out. Uh, the Orioles, what a great story this year. They go over their win total by 20-somewhat games. You know, this is a team that, clearly defied all of everyone's preseason expectations. If you were holding on to an Orioles over ticket, they were the first team in Major League Baseball this year to cash that over. Yeah, Orioles were right around, what, 63? Yeah. And just, um, you know, the market never believed it. I know you could bet the Orioles. If there's one thing I would say with baseball, more of the same, Mots. You get a team like Baltimore, and their season win number was like, forever was like in the low 70s. And people are like, well, they stink, and I know they're above 500, but they're going to come back to the pack. And they never they never did. They, they stayed a good team, a respectable team the entire year. And I'd say all things being equal, you get a sample size of 50, or you get a sample size where a team is you know, way better or way worse than we expected. And that's the truth. Seattle is good, all right? Yeah. See, I know Seattle started badly in April, mm-hmm. but once Seattle was like 10 below 500 and then they got to like eight above, they were going to be a playoff team. And, and- – I, people say it every year, run differential is an indicator of team success. Now that the regular season is over, go look at the standings. Go look at the run differential. There is only one team that had a negative run differential that finished higher than third place, and that was the Chicago White Sox, who finished in second in the division, 81-81 and 81 record. Mm. Every other team that finished first, or second place in their division had a positive run differential, and most of the third place teams had a positive run differential. I, I agree with this one hundred percent. However, I think this is all regular season handicapping. Yes, of course. Do, I'm just I saying can't. regular season. So, like, if you're looking at the course of the regular season, then we're getting to a point maybe like we had a read discussion at the All Star break, and you're thinking, oh, is this team going to go on a run? Is this team going to go on? A run? Look well, at their run differential. They're minus seventy in the run differential. That's all you got to look yeah, at. No, they're not going to go on a run. They're Exa- not going to turn it around. Exactly. But everyone now- who's waiting for the White Sox to turn it around. No, it never happened. Is that Larusa walking? They had walking a, another guy with a one-two count. Well, they well he stepped aside for health reasons, and now he's completely gone from the team. That's the story. Yeah. But um, even they had a stretch where they played much better baseball later in the season. They still finished eighty-one and eighty-one. Yeah, I do think going into the playoffs, though, the run differential, 
you obviously you want to take it with a grain of salt yeah. because now you're you're not going to get to just just feast off of a bad bullpen or a number four or five starter. Any uh, early leans on the postseason? None. How about you? None. Yeah, I think the Phillies are live against the Cardinals as an underdog in the series. Mm. Interesting. Yep. Now, now I, I would want to ask you. There was a curious result. And I didn't bet this. I'm kicking myself. So in the 161st game of the year, the Phillies were one game behind the Padres. And the Phillies didn't want to catch the Padres because they'd have to play the Mets. <laughs> and curiously enough, I blink. Touchdown Astros. First inning, 6 nothing. If ever there was a game that looked like an organization, a team said, yep. Yeah, we don't need to win this game. <laughs> that was it. Any uh, shenanigans there, possibly? Uh, I think there were shenanigans with the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, talk to me about that. The Rays lost their last five games of the year. Mm-hmm. In fact, they lost, I think it was seven, eight, nine of their last 11 games they lost. I think the Rays had no interest in playing the Toronto Blue Jays, and they wanted to play the Guardians in the first round. There you go. That the same same type of idea. But you want to play the division, the worst division winner, yep. and not the um, the wild card team. You know, one other thought I had was just I don't know if they all won. I know the Dodgers crushed Colorado, but it sure seemed like the teams that were dicey to make the playoffs and had been competing hard to win the division, like the Mets, mm-hmm. like Atlanta. Um, the last day of the, of the year, not a priority to get that done. Sure seemed like the underdogs at attractive prices offered the value in the last game. I had, I had Colorado two days ago, plus 300, and, and they won. And then I didn't go back to the well the final, I mean, the next day, and they won again yeah. as a plus 300 dog. Unbelievable there. Yeah, and I saw that, you know, the Mets um, obviously clinch everything after, like, 161 games of effort. I guess not a big surprise that all of a sudden – they can't get anybody out in the final game of the season, and they they lost outright to Miami, I believe. Yeah, well, it's going to be fun. Playoffs start on uh, Friday, so we'll get going there with the Major League Baseball postseason. Thanks, Fez. Well, the postseason does begin on Friday, AJ, on yesterday's Straight Out of Vegas AM, and if you haven't listen to that episode, do yourself a favor. Go Aren't you listening every day? Who doesn't listen every day? day? Just subscribe to Straight Out of Vegas AM wherever you get your podcasts from. It's simple. Search Straight Out of Vegas AM. I predicted the lines on these playoff series. Let's see how close I was and if it kind of changes the way that we think about these series. All right, let's start with Tampa at Cleveland. The Guardians, minus 128. Tampa, plus 108 on the comeback. So this is the one that I said was going to be the closest. I said this was the coin flip series. Is this, in fact, the closest? It is the closest. So I'm 1-0. That's it. I'm taking my victory already. (laughs) Okay. So it's exactly what I thought it was, the closest series of the four. What's next? Uh, Seattle is plus 148. The Blue Jays minus 174. I said this was going to be the highest priced series. The Blue Jays would be the heaviest favorite. It is not. It is not. No. That would be that. That honor would go to the New York Mets. Okay. Minus 194 over the Padres. The Padres at plus 164. All right. So that's off of what I said on yesterday's show. On yesterday's show, I said the Mets around 150 to 160, and the Blue Jays around that 160 to 170. I figured the Blue Jays would be the higher-priced favorite. I'm not surprised to see the Mets this heavy, though, because – Remember yesterday we had this conversation about what the Mets should do with their pitching rotation. If they win game one, do they push 
Scherzer or DeGrom back to Game 3 and throw Chris Bassett I think that's in Game 2. The Mets have announced that it will be Max Scherzer in Game 1 against the Padres, not Jacob DeGrom. And then in Game 2, nothing announced as of yet. So quite possibly could be Chris Bassett in Game 2 should the Mets get the win. And what that would do, and I actually love this, because Scherzer is a workhorse. And Scherzer can come back on short rest. Maybe not DeGrom, who's coming back from injury, right? And I know Scherzer had his IL stints, but sure. not as serious as DeGrom, right, who missed half the year. But if if Scherzer pitches on Friday, and even if this series goes, well, let's say the Mets wrap this up in two, you save DeGrom now for game one. Game one of the uh, division series, which will begin on Tuesday. And then... So that's Scherzer going Friday. He sits Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Degrom goes, and on the fifth day of on the fifth day, yeah, that's Max Scherzer in Game Two. By throwing Scherzer in Game One and saving Degrom for Game Three, that might not happen. The Mets have the opportunity. They got to take care of business first. They got to win these first two games against the Padres and sweep them. But if they do, they have the opportunity to regain that starting pitching advantage that we had talked about months ago, where it's DeGrom in game one, Scherzer in game two. You can come back with DeGrom and Scherzer if you have to on short rest. And I guess you could say the same thing for the Padres, although the the Padres' probable pitchers, it says here, you Darvish, Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, uh, they could set theirs up as well. Uh, They don't have... Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, yeah. but their version of it as well. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And in that case, pitching Snell in game two, who's probably their third best pitcher at this point. It would save, if they're in the situation, also you would leave Musgrove, who's their ace, you would leave Musgrove in a must-win situation. Exactly. But also, should you win that game, should you win the series in two, you have Musgrove starting in game one. one. So both the Mets and Padres are doing it that way, lining up their pitching rotation. Okay, so what is now the Phillies against the Cardinals? I think the Phillies are live in this series. What is that lined up? They are plus 114 in this series. The Cardinals minus 134 is the favorites. Okay, and Zach Wheeler is going to go game one for the Phillies. Do we have a Cardinals announced starting pitcher yet? Not that I have seen. Okay, so if I had to guess... Maybe it's Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery. And if it's Montgomery, I give Philly, I give the Phillies the edge in game one. Wheeler over Montgomery. Even though Jordan Montgomery's been really good for them, we know the Phillies mash lefties. And so I like the Phillies. I think the Phillies, if they steal game one, this gets really interesting. I think they're absolutely live in this series. So what are the lines of game ones that we know about? In that first game between the Mets and the Padres, Max Scherzer minus 130, the favorite for the Mets. Wait it. Uh, Seattle, Toronto, you've got Alec Manoa minus 136 against Luis Castillo. That is a tremendous matchup. Because Castillo's been so great for the Mariners. And Alec Manoa is a guy, we talked about him as a potential Cy Young Award uh, winner. Um, I kind of like, man, I kind of I, I kind of think I might take, oof. This is tough because somebody asked me earlier what my predictions were for the entire series. 
and I didn't do any handicapping, AJ. This is just, they said, go with your gut and just tell me what you think on all four series. And I said, okay, no problem. I said, Mets in two, Phillies in two, Cleveland in three, Toronto in three. That was my gut without doing any handicapping. I think with Luis Castillo on the hill, the Mariners are live to win game one here. And that would actually play into my Toronto winning in three. Uh, and in the final game, Shane Bieber going for Cleveland. They are minus 119 favorites. Shane McClanahan on the mound for the Rays. The only reason I lean Cleveland, it's not because I like Bieber more so than McClanahan, is because the Rays have just been in bad form lately. They've lost nine of their last 11 games to end the season. I don't know how you just flip a switch and just all of a sudden start playing better baseball now that we're into the postseason. Plus, Emmanuel Classe is the best closer in Major League Baseball for the Indians, how and mu- he will shorten this game. How much of an edge do you give the teams that have been there, done that, have have this playoff experience? I do like, give an edge the, to those teams. The, like yeah. the, the Rays, a team that's, you know, they're, yeah. they're there to the end almost every year. Mm-hmm. The Mariners just showing up for the first time. Like, how much of an edge do you do you factor in for those teams that have playoff experience? It's it's also the players that have been there before. I think it's more so players than teams, right? And specifically pitchers. Max Scherzer's a big game pitcher. He's been there before. I trust him in the big spot more than I trust you, Darvish, in the big spot. Uh, Luis Castillo is a guy, and in, in, for Alec Manoa also, really hasn't been there. In in you know their career, Castillo playing in Cincinnati all those years, right? Manoa is a young kid. I wonder how they handle the atmosphere on the road. I wouldn't like somebody without experience. So, yeah, I think maybe you give again Bieber some edge over McClanahan. I mean, McClanahan had a taste of of postseason action, I I, I guess. Uh, but I mean, last year, yeah, last year in the postseason, he was. Let's see. He appeared in four games in 2020 with an 8.31 ERA. He appeared in two games in 2021 with a 7.94 ERA. Not exactly a good postseason history for Shane McClanahan. Yeah, you mentioned you Darvish, who has pitched in two World Series games, lasted one and two-thirds in both of those in 2017 against the Astros. He's had a hard time in these big game spots. You know, I, I, this isn't quite a World Series game, but in a short series, every game matters. And going up against Max Scherzer, who's one of the best ever, uh, that's a that's a tough ask. So, Absolutely, uh, interesting matchups. I mean, let's face it, a lot of great pitching matchups. And like we said, we don't know the uh, the starter for the Cardinals yet, but we've got three solid pitching matchups. Mm-hmm. No matter what, should be a fun first night of the of the playoffs. Yep, we'll know more about these series obviously as we progress throughout the day. And then you want to make sure that you're listening to tomorrow morning. Friday morning show, we will have a definitive breakdown of what we have coming up for Friday's Major League Baseball playoff games. You look at the playoff schedule, there's going to be day games. It starts at noon Eastern time, actually 12.07, because you know all these playoff games have the bizarre start times with the commercials and whatnot. So 12.07 Eastern time on Friday is game one of the American League wildcard series from Cleveland, Guardians, and Rays. So we'll break all that down coming up on tomorrow's show. If you want more NFL breakdown, make sure you listen to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview Podcast, where, A.J., we went through this slate, which I I think we can agree. It it was a tough slate. It's a tough slate of NFL games this year. Yeah, it's tough. 
and, and we went through it and, and gave our our best bets. We had what bunch a couple of crossfires, right? And 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 a couple of likes, multiple cross for three crossfires, four uh, double or triple likes. Yeah, so and some so, derivatives. Ooh, yes, that's right. Yeah, we came up with some good ones. Yeah, that's right. We have a a, a first half best bet. Yeah, that's on the board as well. So you want to check that out, RJ Bell's Dream Preview Podcast. And if you're listening to Straight Out of Vegas AM on the Dream Preview Podcast feed, you got to follow us on the separate SOV feed. So just search Straight Out of Vegas AM wherever you get your podcasts from and follow us on the new feed because eventually we will not be simulcast on both. You you're, only, we're transitioning. Yes, you will only be able to follow us. <laughs> On Straight Out of Vegas. Follow us through our transition, guys. Follow us there. <laughs> and if you are new to pregame.com, we got a great promotion going on for you. First off, new members get $25. So you just sign up, you join the winning team, you get $25. But here's the greatest promotion that we have going on right now it's called bulk dollars. If you buy $10, you're going to get $50 of bulk dollars. AJ, explain what does that mean? You get you spend ten, you get fifty. Bulk dollars are basically it's pregame.com money. It's uh, it's good at pregame.com. You spend it like cash. Only when you buy ten, you get fifty, uh, and it's one per customer, of course. But it is a, a great opportunity if you're looking to dip your toe. You spend ten dollars, get fifty dollars worth of product, and it expires never. Yeah. Those bulk dollars are always with you in your cart when you check out. They're there for you. You can use them whenever. And you look, a, a, a daily best bet package is usually like $25. So with $10, you're basically getting two best bet packages. It's a it's an incredible deal. Go to pregame.com, jump on that right now, and don't forget, subscribe to Straight Out of Vegas AM wherever you get your podcasts from. He's AJ Hoffman. Mackenzie Rivers is somewhere. I'm Scott Sadenberg. Have a great Thursday. We'll talk to you tomorrow.